This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 12, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Politicians regularly involve law enforcement as an effective intermediary between patients and physicians. Cato's Jeff Singer says those kinds of policies were for many patients disastrous during the pandemic. And none of the rules that govern opioids in particular are based on evidence or respect for individuals. To put it mildly, he says it's cops practicing medicine. You, As you recall, uh, in November of 2022, uh, I co-authored a white paper called Cops Practicing Medicine, which traces the uh, involvement of law enforcement in not only in intrusion, intruding into the patient-doctor relationship, but in, in trying to influence and direct how doctors practice medicine, all as an outgrowth of drug prohibition and the war on drugs. And the latest example of that is uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration's new proposed rules regarding uh, telemedicine and prescribing of controlled substances. So uh, during the pandemic, as an emergency measure, there are obviously uh, many people couldn't get into doctors, doctor's offices were closed. So they relaxed the requirement that uh, a person has to see uh, a healthcare practitioner in person in order to receive a prescription for a controlled substance. And when it comes to people who uh, were getting referred uh, for addiction treatment, for substance use disorder, to be started on buprenorphine, which is uh, a, a, one of the two most commonly used medications to treat uh, opioid use disorder, the same, uh, the same relaxation occurred where you, since many offices were closed, you didn't have to get into the to the addiction specialist's office to get the prescription. You could be given that through a telemedicine visit. Well, now that the emergency is coming to a close, uh, the DEA is offering new rules. And this is at a time when, uh, of course, many of us have realized the uh, had previously untapped potential of telemedicine and telehealth. So uh, there, these new rules that are about to go into effect, first of all, are going to say that uh, Anyone who's receiving any uh, controlled substances uh, must uh, see, have at least one in-person visit with uh, the prescriber. So, and this isn't necessarily, this is separate from people who are receiving, let's say, buprenorphine for, for opioid use disorder, which I'll get to in a minute. But basically, let's say um, you're a psychiatrist, for example, and uh, you're treating somebody for ADHD. So you're, you're prescribing Adderall for them or Ritalin or one of those drugs. And uh, now you can no longer do that unless at least one time, it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't have to be afterwards, but you need to see them one time in person. Um, now, I, I, I could tell you that uh, this could create a lot of inconveniences and expense. Supposing, for example, you live in a rural area or remote, you know, area remote from the doctor, and now you have to go see the doctor in person, as if that's going to change anything, especially when you're dealing, for example, with mental health disorders or cognitive disorders. It, there's not a lot of physical examination that's really required. It, it, the, the interview and, and conversation, especially if it is both audio and video, on telehealth provides the practitioner with basically all the information needed to, to decide what the problem is and prescribe. So, for example, if, if you're getting Adderall prescribed by a, a psychiatrist for ADHD, it's not like that psychiatrist is going to want to listen to your heart and lungs and maybe uh, palpate your abdomen and look in your ears and eyes. No, the, the, the psychiatrist is going to have a, a lengthy, complicated interview with you to figure out whether you need to be on Adderall. 
But now you're going to have to see that the doctor. Now you don't necessarily if you can't get to see the doctor. For example, let's say it doesn't have to be by the way psychiatrists. There are other doctors who uh, obviously prescribe controlled substances for for uh, uh, certain disorders, including ADHD or anxiety or depression. But um, th that doctor may be far away, um, and uh, or uh, so so. As an alternative, the DEA will allow you to go see another doctor who also happens to have a, a, a narcotics prescribing license, and that doctor can sign a letter saying, yes, I agree with this doctor that you're seeing remotely, uh, and I don't object to that doctor prescribing you this medication. Now, that's, again, that's another inconvenience and problem, and there's also the issue of how many other doctors are want to get, going to want to get involved in that and maybe even risk liability. So you're just creating a problem. The other problem they're creating has to do with treatment of opioid use disorder. So during the, the emergency, uh, if you wanted to get treatment for opioid use disorder with buprenorphine, uh, which is uh, one of the, that and methadone are the two most effective ways of treating it, you could do a tele, telehealth consult with uh, uh, a physician or healthcare practitioner that treats opioid use disorder. And after the appropriate interview, they'll prescribe buprenorphine for you. Uh, well, now that the emergency is over, um, if you do that, you're only allowed, they'll, they'll let you do that because they, you know, they want to expedite getting you on treatment for, for addiction. That That's the good part. But on the other hand, they say you cannot be prescribed more than a 30-day supply by that prescriber, and you have to get in to see that prescriber within 30 days in order to continue. Well, just the average wait time now to see just a primary care doctor in the United States is 26 days. And there are fewer uh, healthcare practitioners who engage in treating substance use disorder. So you're, you're creating a situation where uh, a significant number of people who might have been started on a 30-day supply of buprenorphine can't get into the the doctor for the visit to make that official. Uh, and so they run out and they either turn to the street for it or they just, they, they go back to using whatever drugs they were using before. And, and there's a lot of research showing that if you, if you abruptly stop uh, either buprenorphine or methadone, uh, the, the likelihood is people are going to return to their, to the, to their, to the street source of their drugs and resume the problem they had. Um, a lot of this, of course, is, is not scientific. It's, it's, it's not evidence-based. And it's also uh, based by uh, moralizing and stigmatizing people who have uh, who use controlled substances in general, not just people with opioid use disorder. Uh, the opioid use disorder part is because, obviously, see, underlying this is, I guess, the notion that you can't be trusted. Somebody has to look at you and see if you are for real. From a scientific standpoint, many of these conditions that are getting treated with controlled substances don't re really require a physical examination. If they did, then the practitioner would insist on it because, you know, the practitioner, obviously, not only is there the, the professional considerations, but there's also the liability considerations. So, so uh, you know, with certain kind of drugs that might have uh, serious physical side effects, and you may need to know whether the person's got high blood pressure or, or something of that sort before you start them on it, because it could make it worse. 
Well, those are the situations where you're going to want to say to the patient, you don't have to have a policeman tell you this. You'll, As a practitioner, you'll say, you know, before I put you on this, I need to check some things on you physically. So we better have an appointment. And then finally, if the idea behind this is that this is going to somehow stop dishonest healthcare practitioners who are trying to operate pill mills or or any other fly-by-night organizations that are basically trying to deal drugs and using telehealth for that purpose, that's that's not going to stop them. First of all, if you're doing it for that reason, then obviously you're motivated by money. And it's worth it to you to come up with some way to say, look, I'll be happy to prescribe all the uh, Adderall or meth or or whatever it is that you want, but you have to come and see me for this one make this one appointment to see me, uh, because that's how, uh, uh, you know, that, that's how we'll be able to get away with it. So, uh, and of course it'd be worth your while to, to do that, to, you know, to invest in that and you can even charge for that. (laughs) Is there any evidence that, uh, you know, lawmakers, when crafting these laws and police in advocating for these laws, is there, is there any evidence that, they just want to put up hurdles or is there is there a good faith belief that these things actually will have the impacts that that you say that they won't i think uh, for the most part uh maybe and maybe i'm just too kind i think for the most part um they just don't understand the medicine or the science uh and and so they think they're actually they they really think they're doing the right thing um, and, and, and this is the problem when you have, like I say, cops practicing medicine, they, they just don't understand it. And so to them, they're thinking this is going to make it safer or pre- prevent abuse. Um, but they just don't understand the nature of the drugs, the nature of practice. Uh, they, they probably think that, uh, you know, a doctor seeing somebody in person is going to, uh, for these kind of things is, is better medicine. I, I have to assume that, but then even then th- there's a lot of, you know, in logical inconsistency in their program. So, for example, the new rule is say, says that you'll have to see the person, the patient in person once. So, in other words, I could see you once, and then for the as far as the DEA is concerned, thereafter, I never have to see you in person again. I could just keep prescribing this medication for you. Well, uh, maybe I ought to ask my local cop on the beat when he thinks how how frequently he thinks I should see my patient. Uh, in person when I have them on a long-term uh, drug like like Adderall, because obviously they know better than I do uh, how important it is uh, to examine people. Um, and so I should ask them. But apparently, according to the, the latest, the latest uh, opinions of law enforcement, is that as a physician, I only need to see that person once. And then I could probably s- just keep prescribing via telehealth, telehealth indefinitely. On a related matter, um... States are moving ahead with legalizing testing supplies for people who uh, might be using uh, heroin or other like powerful opioids to detect fentanyl in uh, opioids. Has have police been generally negative on that or have they been supportive? Um, I, it seems like the police are, are not na- are, are generally supportive of that. The problem is, you know, different police are individuals and some are more uh, uh, accepting of the idea of harm reduction. Others, and it's not just police, it's even pharmacists. So for example, there's still reports of pharmacists who don't want to hand out naloxone to people showing up with a prescription for it. 
uh, or, or using the standing order because uh, they feel that they're enabling what they consider to be a bad decision on a bad lifestyle decision. So there are going to be cops like that who are going to enforce the currently existing drug paraphernalia laws in, in many of the states that make it illegal to distribute uh, any device or equipment that could be used to test illegal drugs. But then there are others who, you know, they, even if it's illegal and they could, if they want to arrest you for when they see you doing it, they look the other way. And many people, uh, uh, who operate harm reduction organizations in states where the paraphernalia laws are kind of make it where they're in, it's a gray zone. It's not black and white. They don't know is, is can, can I be arrested for doing this or not? Cause you could have different interpretations of the law. They're very dependent on the police, um, hoping that they kind of look the other way because they know they're safe. They're involved in saving lives and stopping the spread of disease. And so a lot of police, do look the other way, but again, it depends depends on the on the policeman. What's the interplay between states and feds when it comes to cops practicing medi- medicine broadly? I can imagine that there are a lot of states that would like to be considerably more liberal with their approach, but there is sort of a federal backstop when it comes to prescribing medicine at all. Well, of course, you have this now when it comes to psychedelics or or marijuana, where st- increasingly we're seeing states say we're we're making it legal in our state and uh and our law enforcement is will not uh, uh do anything to help enforce federal law because as far as our state is concerned this is legal so then it's up to the, the feds if they want to devote resources to coming into these states and and arresting people um and again they have limited they have you know they have limited resources so it's up to uh, up to the prosecutorial discretion regarding where they want to uh apply those resources but that's another another reason behind uh the movement for states to uh legalize a lot of these presently illegal drugs like cannabis like psychedelics because uh the hope is that it's going to eventually press congress in washington to want to look at these federal laws because otherwise they're caught in this uh, in this uh, contradiction where where basically the federal laws are being ignored by the states the states are telling the federal government well if you want to enforce your law you enforce your law this is not illegal in our state and so the idea is to press them to finally get off the stick and do something about it Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.